Hey guys, before we get started, I wanted to apologize about the audio quality. Um, something happened to the original file that is used my fancy microphone. And so I used the backup, which is basically my built-in microphone from my Mac. And I wasn't even facing the computer. So my apologies, but you know, as you know, we're in season. We're just trying to grind and, and get things done. And so I hope you can um, grin and bear it through this week. And I apologize. And we'll be back to normal next week. Anyway, enjoy the show. Hey now, welcome to another episode of Make Defense Great Again. My name is Chris Fass, or a.k.a. Coach Fass. Thank you so much for joining us. After a week hiatus, um, I needed some time. I wasn't feeling so good, so I shut it down. I'm back. We're going to have a quick show tonight. It's playoff time for me, and I'm in the middle of getting my stuff ready for my game uh, tomorrow night. But I couldn't go two weeks in a row without saying hello and without answering some questions. So I wanted to stop by, answer a few of these uh, questions you submitted, and um, touch base with you. Our normal housekeeping items before we get into the show, please follow me on Twitter, at Coach Vass. It's at Coach V-A-S-S. And the podcast, at M-D-G-A Podcast. You can go to my website, www.coachvass.com, which I promise to update once the season's over. Also, if you're liking what you're hearing, go ahead and... uh, Rate and review the show and leave some some feedback so listeners can uh, find it. I thought that it was BS and that people used to just say that, but it's actually true. So um, please, please feel free to uh, go ahead and do that if you feel so inclined. Also, if you want to donate to the, the Mama Dukes Kicks Cancer's Ass Fund, you can do that by donating to me. Coach Vass at gmail.com through PayPal or through Cash App, dollar sign Coach Vass. Without further ado, let's get in the show. Let's get into it, man. Our first question comes from GFOP, that's a great friend of the pod, William Garrett, who coaches at Tumwater High School. And- the state of Washington. His question is, what are some of your favorite zone blitz pressures against quick game? I would say my favorite concept is to, uh, if you're going to zone pressure quick game, start with coverage first. I mean, generally, the best coverage for quick game, and this is just, again, this is from a global perspective, is cover two. So I'm going to look to run some cover two zone pressures. If you're doing that, you, you want to come in a creeper world where you're dropping a traditional defensive lineman or somebody who's on the line of scrimmage and you are bringing a second-level DB or you can play what TCU calls five-jam coverage where it's four underneath, two-deep zone, man match with one of the deep-down linemen, one of the defensive linemen on the running back. There's different ways you can do that. But... You know, uh, Bama does a lot of that stuff. If you watch them on Saturdays, you know, they'll bring the nickel from the field underneath the DN, bring the DN to field. 
Um, they'll, they'll simulate, try to get the offense in a 5-0 protection cell that they're playing man, and then they'll drop everybody out. And that's one thing I've noticed a lot. It's not groundbreaking, but I, I've noticed a lot more teams, you know, everybody that runs two high coverages and, and rolls down to one high starts in two high and rolls down to one high. I mean, I don't know too many books line up in one high if they're a two high team, if that's their starting place. However, I never really did the other way around until last year, and it's been pretty effective. In fact, um, my buddy Steven Ruiz from USA Today sent me the clip of the Patriots doing something similar to Lamar Jackson. They had him. Uh, they had lined up in a man-free look with a with a post safety. And then right before the snap, the nickel dropped back to the field side half. The middle of the field safety dropped in the hole. And the boundary side safety, who was kind of down as an overhang over number two, drove back to the his half. And they weren't really blitzing. I, you know, I've seen that where you're blitzing from the boundary and you'll rotate the nickel back, take the, the field side deep safety to the boundary, take the boundary side deep safety down into the flaps or the curl. But this was just a traditional, you know, drop seven, rush four, and it was four guys that were, I mean, it was three, four, but still the fourth guy was one of the outside backers on the line. So it wasn't too exotic. But that's really, if, if you're defending quick game, I mean, the reality of the situation is if they're going to get the ball out before uh, you get there, if that's their whole, that's why they're doing that for the most part. And so what you're going to try to do is if you're, if you're going to blitz quick game is you want to have basically a coverage sack because you want to make them hold the ball and let the cavalry get there. And I think the best way to do that is to bait them and show one high, show a blitz look, um, and then trap all the quick game routes and, uh, you know, get guys into windows that they don't expect. And that's really what I, I, I would say would be the most effective thing. Obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously. I would stay away from, from the three pressures because, you know, especially if a team is running – you know, empty or they're getting five out and they can get those guys out and you're, you're short a guy underneath. So, I mean, that's just kind of a more of a numbers common sense thing. Our next question comes from Dr. Peter Noonan. He's uh, on Twitter at, at coach noon 45 coaches in Kingsville, Texas. I didn't even look it up that time. He's a defense coordinator and DB's coach and Seminole grad, which I just found out this week. Dr. Pete and I have talked a few times. He's not a doctor, by the way. I saw his initials at Masters at Education on Twitter, and somehow in my adult brain, my, my seasoned adult brain, I put together that he was a doctor. He's not, but now he's, that's kind of my thing now. He's the doctor. So um, his his question is, when evaluating your players and coaches at the end of the season, do you have them self-evaluate before sitting down with you? What are some non-traditional topics you evaluate them on? I'm going to disappoint you in this. I don't really, I, I, I don't have them do this. Um, I'm going to be completely 100% honest with you here. And I know this may, you guys might think, oh my God, and I might lose some cool points. When the season's over, I don't care. I put so much into the season that once the season's over, I'm done. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. 
Uh, I, I will f- evaluate from a schematic standpoint what we did in terms of like what we need to prepare for in the offseason, what we need to look at, topics I want to research. But immediately after the season, I'm done. And I'm done until about February, to be honest with you. I mean, I'll go through some of the, you know, talk with some coaches and things, and I'll jot some ideas down. But I don't meet with my assistants one-on-one. Should I probably... And then for my, and again, this is not a popular take, I'm sure. I don't, I I mean, I'll give players feedback, but I mean, you're coaching them every day. Uh, You know, if you're lucky, you're, you know, four practices a week, four, three practices, or three weeks of practices leading up to your first game. So let's just say regular season, plus a bye week, that's 44 practices. Three weeks before, let's say, you know, you got 15 practices there. You know, you're, you're looking at 55 to 60 practices in that time. And then, and then, you know, not even counting playoffs in spring and summer. Your players know what they need to work on. And you, and you can kind of put, a, put a, 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 an exclamation point on it, so to speak. And, and you can formalize it and kind of summarize it. But I... I our players should know what they need to work on every day. And so, you know, you might take the big points home and remind them, but I don't, I don't know. I'm not big on that. And it's high school football. So unless you got some really good players, you get them for two years. So your juniors, I'll give the evaluation to, but I, and again, it's not popular. I have a lot of different views on some of these things. and So, you know, this is just one man's opinion. This is by no means the right or the only way, but this is just for me. I don't like watching players, JV and freshman tape, especially when I get to a new school. I don't like watching varsity players. Like when I got to Clovis, I made a point not to watch anything. You know, the younger, the younger kids are doing different techniques. They may be running down. They may be running a uh, watered down version of the, of the scheme, but I'm not, I I can teach the lower level coaches and we have some damn good lower level coaches, but I can teach them what I want, but I I can't teach them every single little thing. So my whole thing in this theory, maybe this is just my excuse for being lazy with this, but uh, is I like to come in with the fresh eyes. I'll watch the kids work out in the off season. And for me, I mean, when it comes to technique, I want to see if a guy can guard somebody. And that doesn't take a lot of t- at first. It's just you know you cover that guy and watch him run around. But I'd rather watch the kids run around in March after they've had time to grow and rest. You know, and there's a lot of growing that happens, especially from sophomore year to junior year, where you know I don't want to watch the kid on film that only got a couple chances or didn't get a lot, and then he grows a little bit and he's feeling good about himself and he's just in a completely different headspace. He's on varsity now and he's thinking, okay, I got to be a man. I got to step up. And now you're evaluating a kid in March, you know, who, who he is right now by watching games from six weeks or six months ago, rather. <laughs> Excuse me. And I just, I don't know. I don't, that's not my thing. So I, I would rather talk to the JV coaches that are with them every day and that coach the kids up that can 
give me a lot more than just seeing them in a game. So that, that's kind of my outlook on things, you know? And so I actually posed this question on Twitter today about that because I've been getting questions like this. And you can tell that whose season's over and who's not because there's some coaches that said, hey, we're not going to – I'm not going to be on Twitter. I'm out during the season. And then all of a sudden they're starting to post again. I'm one of the few losers that doesn't have anything going on. So I, I still post during the season. But, you know, I just, I, 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 I don't know if that's just how I feel about it. And I, again, I know that most people are, oh my God, you don't meet with your players. You don't meet with the coaches. I just, I'm done. I mean, I'm sure you're all like me. I, I don't do anything during the year. I don't go out on the weekends. I don't like, even after games, all our coaches get together and always give me a hard time because I never go. Well, I, I'm so tired from the week. I just want to go home. And I'm either coming home and editing the pod or trying to tag the game or trying to get a few, you know, plays broken down for the next week. And sometimes I just want to play video games and I just want to thaw out. And I go so hard that when it's over, it's over. And I don't really want to think about it for a while. So that's my take on it. So sorry, I know that's not the best answer. And if you guys want to throw some, uh, what you do, you know, feel free to respond to me or, or tweet Coach Noon. Now that y'all are uh, out of season, some of you, and I, Coach, I don't remember if you are or not, uh, but, you know, now there'll be more dialogue, hopefully. I, I hope all the coaches that were back in the uh, 2019 offseason come back because I'd say what, I missed I missed all the coaches on there chatting every day. That was that really made the offseason fun, but I digress. Our next question is from Preston Potter, who's the D.C. and linebackers coach. He coaches at Priceville High School in Decatur, Alabama. Twitter handles at coach P underscore. And his question is, what is your go-to plan A or base rules for defending wing T? If you carry a plan B, how does it differ from plan A? So it's no secret for the teams around here. We're an over front. And so what we try and do versus wing teams, I teams, whatever. And again, I'm not giving away any secrets. You could turn on the film and see this if you have access to it. We're basically an over front, and then imagine there's an under front Sam linebacker attached to that. And I know it's blasphemy to say that an over with a nine technique. So we go uh, five, one and five, or G and five weak, three, six, and nine strong. And the reason I like that more than I like the under is in the under, you get two double teams at the point of attack. I'd rather get one, and we try to put our best guy at the six technique, so you have to single him with the tight end, blah, 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 blah. So. For me, the whole wing T game plan, and our wing T game plan is all based on a lot of what Pat Fox did, who I had on in the podcast earlier in the summer, and he's kind of my two-back guru, so to speak. The whole thing hinges on how we play our nine technique, whether you want to call it strong safety, Sam linebacker, whatever. Now, versus a wing, we don't necessarily put him in a nine. We put him outside the tight end. And it, and it all comes down to this. If that guy blocks out, he's keeping outside contain force. The DB behind him is about seven by four outside the wing. He's forcing outside in, but inside of the down. So let's just say he's the Sam for now. But here's the key. If that guy down blocks, we are going to spill. We call it stack and press. Our Sam's going to come down the line of scrimmage and blow up anything he sees. He's going to hit it. He should be facing the sideline. He's going to hit it with the shoulder and then pry up field. And make the ball go around, get two for one. We never take one for one. So, but we we end up taking one for one, but we don't want to. That's not our goal. 
but it will happen because, you know, you're dealing with 15 to 18 year old kids. So that's kind of the thing that is the key for me because, you know, I watched these eight-man fronts forever getting rolled by the wing T. When the wing would go down to the inside backer, they would have their strong safety, Sam, whatever you want to call it, box. And, you know, your primary hitters are your free safety in your corner. You got no backer presence, and they could seal you. So our thing is if you're going to seal our guy, we're going to make the ball go outside so you can't hit that alley, and we'll try to get our backer over the top. And we do some slants and some things. We'll slant to the wing, uh, except for the play side end. So, you know, we're not getting outside power, but we will also have a thing like that. So if they run tackle trap back at you, you're slanting into the tackle trap. You know, if the wing, if they're in their traditional 100, 900 look and they motion the wing back, try to slant weak. And we'll do something like that. So that's basically, we like to play robber coverage to the tight end wing side and your inverted halves or thirds to the X receiver side. We have a couple pressures uh, where we'll blitz away from the, the wing. We'll blitz to the wing and we'll, it'll be, all be based on where that, that power side is, you know? So we just don't have a static call. So it'll be like, you know, if we want to blitz from the split inside, we would call you and then lightning or thunder or whatever. Some people call it lightning thunder. Some people call it billion air dust for back. Sorry. Some people call it open, close, whatever, tight and split. And so we're going to bring that the, the blitz away from the tight end wing. We're going to slant to the tight end wing. But if that, that wing motions, we're going to blitz. Uh, we're going to blitz off the backside now and slant to the motion because they're going where the wing is for the most part. And so we want to overplay that side. We're not just going to say we're going to blitz to the tight end and the split end because to me it doesn't matter. It's where's the wing. Now, not every team's equal. So, you know, that that can change. But the, I'm just talking about some of the teams we played in the past. And, and you know, we played some wing T teams that didn't run all the series. So, you know, the team run trap, that affects things. If the team uh, runs the belly series, that affects things. So there's some different things there. Now, main change-ups, we like to mess with the wing. So we'll, you know, we'll line the guy up outside the wing on a spill path. If the wing blocks down, then we'll we'll line him up, head up on the wing, and destroy the wing. We will have him come down and split the tight end of the wing, and then we'll basically line up in the under and then play cloud to the wing. Uh, we'll try to find some sort of odd front or some different look to present issues depending on what the team does. We've run uh all different things is our change up one year we ran paul pascaloni's 4-3 lightning which if you google you'll see a ton of old articles on i ran god i can't remember if this was pat's blitz or the late bruce cobbley but they had an odd front i think called sick i think it was bruce cobbley's where they would line up at a 50 with the back was mugged up and the b gaps and they blitz and slant and do some things that, you know but if you're seeing a team and we used to play valley christian in san jose who's a great football team they didn't run buck sweet so running that concept wasn't very good because they didn't pull both guards so if you line up you know and a zero two thirty backers walked up and two five techniques and you ran that for them they'll just wash your ass down and kick you out so the change up depends on what's their best thing that they do uh i like to move in stem versus it because they'll say oh well that doesn't affect our rules our rules our rules well then it should affect the plays and, you know, yeah, the rules are the rules, but you can get certain looks for certain things. Um, I also like to slant the wing tee. So 
uh, and I like to slant towards where the ball is going and come off the backside. I found that when we did that, we had more success than when we slanted away from where they were running and they blitz, especially with that tight end wing. There's a little bit of an area where you hit the bubble and you can get creased. It's hard. It's easier to crease the defense when they're slanting away from the play than when they're slanting with the play. So anyway, that's my wing T kind of thing. Now, with all that said, they probably should have said this at first. We have rarely played the true quote unquote wing T. I mentioned Valley Christian. They uh, do not run the Buck series. They run the Power series, and they do not run guard trap very much. Uh, we've played other teams. It's Sanger down in the city of Sanger a couple years ago. They were wing T, but they were more. And again, I, I'm not saying they're not true, true wing T, so to speak, but they ran some flex bone options, some other things where like you had to worry about the 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 constraint plays on their offense wasn't wing T stuff so much as it was option stuff, and there was other things you had to worry about. So I you know, to kind of think of it, I don't even know if I played it. Because to me, when I think wing T, I think Buck Sweep. And I know that the wing T, the guys are yelling at that, you know, the wing T is not a play. It's a series. It's an order of football and all that stuff. Yeah, but what's the play when you think of wing T? It's Buck Sweep. I don't know if we've ever played a true Buck team when they're faking the trap and pulling both guards. But if you really want to get into defending the wing T and you're a 4 5 team, go, go get Pat Fox's video on defending the wing T out of the 4 5 It was produced I don't know, probably 10 years ago now. It's fantastic. Check that out. All right, our next question is from Jamel Bird, who is the head coach at Hopewell High School in Charlotte, North Carolina. Jamel's a great guy. He's always on Twitter, always asking questions, giving advice, uh, giving insights. Just, just a great, great dude. Love that guy. He's uh, he's an at Coach Bird. That's B-Y-R-D underscore. His question is, or this his question statement is, I heard you say on the podcast you coach the corners. You have a sophomore starting cornerbacks. They're good players with skill to play corner, but they are still developing. They've struggled this year with defending the go ball. Oh, boy, haven't we all? What technique and drills do you use to better guard against this? Okay, so it depends where they're getting beat. Are they getting beat at the line? Or the, okay, are you playing press? Are you playing off? I know this is going to sound stupid simple and you're going to say yeah thanks appreciate you and probably skip my answer but here's what i do for drills i'm i'm country i'm stupid simple what do they have problems with and just do it over and over again so we were not we essentially were i should say were we're still playing we have not been good against the go ball because we had some shorter corners that were afraid to get beat. It was a mentality thing. Great guys, amazing kids, great football players. Just they were a little shorter and they're worried about getting mossed, so to speak. And so they'd be good till the very end. They'd freak out a little bit. They, you know, flail with their arms or didn't time up their jump. And so the way that we, I don't want to say fixed because it's still an issue. For anybody, and again, I'm not saying anything that's state secrets. You will turn on our film, you can watch it, which was why we played Tampa 2 and dropped eight people last week. But uh, as we just, we first of all told them that they could do it over and over and over again and built their confidence up. I think confidence is the most under talked about thing, you know, asset 
that you should have or skill you should have at cornering. You have to think, sleep, eat, drink, thinking you're good. You cannot have any doubt because when, you know, I don't want to get into this long thing, but when you get beat at corner, everybody knows it's your fault. When Billy, the fat three technique gets uh, trapped, the only person that sees it is his mom and his girlfriend and the line coach. Like everybody, everybody's not seeing that unless he gets just blown up. And as a fat guy who played three technique, I can uh, say that and make fun of fat guys. So yeah. Anyway. So, I mean, and, and, you know, we used to play in the WCAL, the West Catholic Athletic League in Northern California. And they had the damnedest tradition. None of the, I'm trying to think, I think St. Francis had a band, but all the other bands were like jazz bands. It was really bizarre. So we used to say, you know, you know, joke, make jokes about the fight song. But when you played in those guys, you'd be like, strike up the jazz band. It was, it was brutal. I guess Bellarmine had a band too, but it just hilarious. But anyway, um, so, you know, love them up, tell them they can do it, tell them they can do it, put them in a place of confidence and have them go over and over and over again. You know, diagnose what the issue is and just do it. Um, you know, if they're having a problem, looking back too early, we do a pin drill. We start them lined up next to each other and they jog and they have to pin and look for the ball. Um, if they lose a guy, then we do it where they lose the guy so they snap their eyes back to the receiver. And we tell our guys, you can't lean without looking. You can't look without leaning. And those are some coaching points. An older press tape made by Scott Schaefer, who at the time was at Syracuse. I have no idea where he is now, or Illinois. One of the, It was an orange school, so apologies to Coach Schaefer. But uh, so we use that, and then we just do it over and over and over again. Uh, and that's really the key for us. Now, I got a drill from uh, my old boss, Nick Navarro, and he, we were together at uh, Mountain View at St. Francis High School in Mountain View, California, home of Google. And one thing he trained, and again, I don't know if this is a novel concept. I, I just never heard of it before. I'm sure it's probably something that everybody does. But one of the things that we saw and had was we had some shorter corners the year before I got there, and he trained them to jump late. So... The receiver would go up to get the ball, and instead of trying to jump up with the receiver, which was, you know, you're getting into a pissing contest with a guy who's bigger than you and who's going to beat you because he's taller and can jump higher, is he would have them wait and then would have them start to jump on the way down, which I know sounds kind of weird and crazy, but that's how they did it, and that's how they would defend that, that route. Um, so... Um, you know, so that, I mean, I'm guessing that's what it is. It's either got to be pressed or some sort of bail. So either man turned or zone turned. If it's a man turn, work on working that man turn. If it's a man turn, you know, work on pinning that guy. If it's a zone turn, work on driving back towards the ball. One of the issues that one of my players had was when they would go up to the ball, they would jump backwards and they were already short. So they would kind of jump like, it's hard to explain, but they would, instead of jumping up, they would like jump back and they would get, no, they're actually shorter than they would if they just stood up. And so the timing of going and getting the ball and, you know, when I used to coach press bail quarters and that was it, we were really good at it because all we did all day was just go up and get footballs. If we had 20 minutes of indo, we did 10 minutes of ball drills. 
I think now it's a little harder with all the different things that we do and we're not as good as playing the ball and we're a man match team anyway. So, you know, going and playing the football at the highest point is not really, not really what we're, I don't know. It's not really our mission. Our mission is to make sure the ball's not completed, which I know is kind of, you know, you kind of going, well, isn't that part of it? But we're not as concerned with the ball as we were when we just played straight up zone. So that would be kind of some of my suggestions. Our next question is from Jim Beach. He coaches linebackers and is the defensive coordinators in Addison High School in Manitou Beach, Michigan. I think it's Manitou, M-A-N-I-T-O-U. His Twitter handle is at CoachJim4AHS. And uh, his question is, first of all, he says, loves the podcast. If we win in the playoffs next week, we will play a spread team that throws the ball very well. They play a lot of man coverage, and during 7-on-7 seven seven this summer, they played with stacked receivers or motion and ran crossing routes. Think Ohio State versus Michigan 2018. Can you please talk about some answers to this? We are split field 4 team. Thank you. Well, um, you know, I'll be honest with you. If you're seeing – I mean, if, you, if they're in stack formations or they're motioning to stack – I know that you play main coverage. I know that's your answer. And if that's your answer, that's your answer. And, you know, it's kind of the whole dance with who brung you kind of a deal. You know, we're good, good, bad, or indifferent. You're going to, that's what you're going to do. That's what you're good at. Then you do it. I will say that my first answer was don't play man, would be don't play man coverage. But if that's your thing, then that's what you got to do. There are some out there and I'm probably gonna mess this up I again I'm not I'm not reading these questions and doing a bunch of research I'm in season you know uh I'm working on my playoff I was working on my call sheet before I started and my food just got here in the middle of the pod <laughs> magic of editing I'm gonna go back to eating and then look at some more tendencies and work on my wristbands and stuff so I I don't have this I don't have the time to really this part of the season to go into depth, but I can refer you to Twitter as a magical place and you can find a lot of things. My first thing off the top of my head is a coverage called One Cross, I believe is what it's called. It's from the Saban guys, and I'm sure a lot of people run it a lot of different ways. That's just how I learned it. And a lot of times, guys, as a side note, when I give these answers, um, I'm giving you what I know. So I know One Cross uh, approximately how it works. So I'm sure there's a ton of guys that have done similar stuff. I'm not trying to say that Nick Saban is the end-all, be-all. It's just, it's, it's probably the defense, second defense I know the best after TCU. And so my answers come from those two places first. So I don't want anybody thinking like, well, this guy did it before him, and I'm, and I'm sure they did. I just, this is what I know. So my whole thing would be you can run if you really want to run man coverage and you want to cut those crossers and if you're playing low hole, high hole. One thing I would do is I would play like two man and then rotate down who the rat in the hole is as a DB instead of a linebacker. And instead of lining up a, a linebacker who's starting short and then going deep to look for crossers and whatnot, I would start the safeties deep and drop them down. And I would figure out, depending on the, the – and I know that Bama has rules. If it's two by two, it's like the guy away from the – and again, go on Twitter, search up – the first thing you want to do if you want to look up something like this, search up at James A. Light 
and then one space, just just a space, and then cross. Because James posts a lot about Coach Saban's defenses over the last four or five years on Twitter, and you probably find the rules and video clips and other things. Kyle Kogan, who's my um, Nick Saban guru, um, could probably just post it again. But if you just go on and you type in football or defense and then one cross, you'll find something. And I don't know the rules off the top of my head. I think it's like two by two. It's the guy away from the back, drops in the hole. And if it's trips, it's the guy away from the trips. It doesn't matter. It can be whatever you do that week. You can game plan it. But basically, you can drop from, from high to low and pick off those crossers from the other side. So instead of the theory, instead of having a linebacker and another linebacker and whoever doesn't have the back drops from the box looking around side to side, you take a guy off the roof who comes down, can see everything from depth, and then go and meet those crossers. I am not a man-free expert in terms of rat in the holes, and I and I met with uh, Kyle and I talked about this. I talked with Dante Barti. I'm a novice when it comes to the whole rat in the hole and I could tell you through some of the stuff, but it doesn't sound like those basic answers are what's going to help you. So that would be, I mean, just reading your question, you know, if it was stacked to one side, I would drop the guy in the hole from the other side of the stacks. If it's double stacks, I would do a study and have like rules based on, well, okay, what's two stacks of the guy come from the boundary. I'm, I'm guessing that's the guy from the boundary is going to run the crosser through film study and formational study. I would, game plan where you want that guy to come from and then just come from there. And you can do it where that guy becomes a bonus. So let's say you're getting, uh, let's say it's one crosser just to make it easy. So let's say you're getting shallow. You could have a deal where whoever's got the shallow stays on the shallow and the guy that's dropping down takes the shallow and you double it. You could teach those guys to come off. So if my guy runs a shallow, I'd become a rat in the hole and then the rat takes my guy and you could do some of that stuff. You can also run some brackets where you can bracket the guy who you think is going to run the crosser and then basically play man-to-man on that. Just two guys are playing man, and then if my if I take him, if he goes in, and this would be a bracket from the same side, not like the one cross where you're coming from the opposite side. So those are just some things off the top of my head. If I'm not mistaken, and James would be the guy to talk to about this, I believe that Michigan has started playing some more what they call doubles coverage to combat some of those crossing routes this year where let's just say, for example, let's keep it simple. Let's say they're, you know, and again, this is clean it up for the process uh, or for the uh, process of learning it over a podcast. But let's say uh, the one receiver, let's say it's the two receivers to both sides. It's two by two, both inside receivers are on and they're tighter you know, you put the corner on one, Meg, man, everywhere he goes, and then you double with the two bracket guys. And, you know, you could have – and you could play in-out bracket, whether it's the down guy playing inside, the deep guy playing outside, or vice versa. And basically, okay, have rules where if he goes here, I take him. If he goes here, I go do this. I let the other guy take him, and I go do this. So that would be my spiel on that. My next question comes from Peter Hanno who coaches at N... I do not know how to say this. He coaches for N. Throneris in Hungary in a city that I can't pronounce. Fehevovar, I've, I've murdered that. So I apologize. Uh, the, the, the team, I'll just spell it E-N-T-H-R-O-N-E-R-S. 
and the city is F-E-H-E-R-V-A-R. His Twitter handle's at Peter underscore Hanno. That's H-A-N-O. Peter writes in, and he says he's the DB coach from Hungary, and he loves the podcast. Thank you very much. What is your favorite coverage in front against Trey set? And you call different coverage. The running back stands up to the tight end side. So I don't know exactly when you say Trey, there's, there's not really universal language for this. Some people call Trey different things. To me, Trey by itself is double tight with receivers. So, so a tight end on each side with the receivers together on one of the tight end side. So you're going left or right, nub tight end on the left, tight end, receiver, receiver on the right, one back. Um, some people call Trey nub trips. So you got a nub on one side with trips on the other. I know that's what the Bama call Bama guys call it. They call it Trey check. And then there's what I call Trey open, which is tight end receiver, receiver to one side, and then an X receiver spread out. So I don't, I hate saying this, but I hate to cop out, but I don't have a, a, a favorite formation or a favorite defense versus a formation. What we do is all based on what they do. Uh, well, this this will be over by then. So, and, and it's customized. So that's why I feel comfortable about talking what I do. So, for example, this podcast comes out after a game. I don't, and it's not something that'll ever be. I don't say ever, but not duplicated much. So we're playing a team that goes two by two. Uh, I call it pro twins. We got a tight end Z to one side, twins to the other. So we have, if the back is away from the tight end, we've slanted. If the back is to the tight end, we've slanted. The other way, we've done all sorts of stuff. This week, if the back is away from the tight end, they're like 80% run. And if the back is too tight end, or to the tight end, they're 80% pass. So what we're doing is if the back's away from the tight end, we're playing TCU's Bronco, which is basically man. You know, palms to the twins side, and then basically man, unless, you know, shallow on the tight end in the corner, but if the tight end and the back are on the same side, they're 80% pass, we're going to play two trap, which we've never played versus that look ever. So nobody has, I mean, we, and, and granted, there's only so many options, but we will play, I'm going to play what the best call is for that situation. I have some things, some starting points. So for example, if you're telling me if I don't know, if I don't really not sure what Trey is and what plays they run, because my question on all these is what do you do? My starting place, though, if you're talking about a tight end each side with two receivers on the same side, if they're going to run the ball, I'm going to try to flip the corners. I'm going to play corners over palms, and then I'm going to lock the box. I'm going to play an eight-man front. I'm going to play Robert one of the tight ends, probably to the twin side, and then I'm going to play you know, solo or whatever to the other tight end, and I'm going to move the front depending on where the back is. If it's Trey open, so now you're talking tight end, receiver, receiver to one side, split end to the other. Where's the back? What is he doing? We saw a team earlier in the year that when the back and the tight end were on the same side, it was power. Uh, we saw a team that if you got that formation and they were the tight end and the back were on the same side, it was pass. They like to run four strong low passing concepts. So they swing the back. We saw a team earlier in the year that ran this formation. They ran stretch week. So our game plan was completely different. And I should say completely, but different enough where if you plan for one thing, you know, for all you OCs opponents that, and I'm going to give, drop you a bow, guys, I, I doubt anybody's listening to one of our opponents, but if you are and you're trying to pick up what we're going to do versus certain things, 
I'm here to tell you that if you watch us versus a certain formation, because I know it's what every offensive coach does, you know, how do these guys play this formation? I'm going to tell you right now, if you watch us line up against a formation and you think, oh, that's how they're going to do it, you're doing yourself a disservice. We will change how we play everything every week. And we have the tools to do it. And I have a, call, a calling system that makes it easy to do. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's the best way or the only way. But you are, you're going to be really sad if you watch us line up against the formation and you have some special play that beats that coverage. For example, and this is a segue into the third part, if you're calling trade tight end to one side, trips to the other, so dump tight end with trips, we have played that this year. We've seen four teams that have done it. we played it four different ways because what do they do? The first team we played ran sprint out, so we, we played man-free, Outside leverage on two and three to leverage the out routes. Uh, and we would have the backer to the back to the field. We pull the chain right now. As soon as he saw the sprint out, he basically blitz it. We've played quarters where we played quarters over one and two. We had the corner lineup in a C7 over the tight end. They're about to save them down to four by four, played man on the tight end, and had the corner that was in the C7 actually poach number three. We've played uh, TCU special to the tray. We even ran uh, three fire zone versus it. We're not going to we're not going to play it every week. So it's hard for me to answer these general questions. I, I can give you some ideas for some things, but we don't have a way that we line up against a set. Hell, we had we played a team early in the year. We had seven or eight empty checks versus uh, empty. Yeah, no shit. I said empty. You might say, "Well, that's that's crazy." Well, when they run thirty steps empty, what do you want me to do? I mean. You want me to line up in one call? I mean, so we need tools in the toolbox. So, you know, it's hard for me to say, what do you do versus X? I can give you some some ideas. So if if I didn't answer your question, Peter, thank, first of all, thank you for listening and thank you for enjoying it. And, and it just blows my mind that you can be so far away and still listen and, and enjoy this podcast. Just, you know, I just don't expect guys hungry to listen to American football shows. So I'm humbled and honored. If I didn't answer your question, please reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, if you can, give me the exact, because I know there's no global language in football. If you can give me, draw up the exact formation, give me a hit chart. I do better with that, which I know it's hard on these forms because you're just submitting a question in text. But if you give me a hit chart, okay, this is where they run the ball, or the hypothetical you're asking, I can give you a better, more uh, streamlined answer. So. All right, last question for the night comes from Jacob Dowdy, who coaches defensive line at Henderson County High School in Henderson, Kentucky. His Twitter handle is at AGR underscore 697. All right, question. We are a 3-4-4-2 nickel team. Due to injuries of both of our starting outside linebackers, we move full-time to a 4-2-5 structure. Attaboy. The problem is all of our short yardage goal line sets were based out of odd package. If subbing personnel isn't an option, what is your go-to short yardage and goal line call? Um, if to, it's kind of goes from the last question. It depends. What's the formation? Are they are they a true goal line? Are they double tights with a wing and two backs? Are they three backs? Are they twenty-two? So is it double tights with a flanker? If it is double tights, are they on the same side? Are they are they split? Um, we don't have a I. I I've never run a goal line short yardage package like a special deal. We will sub personnel, but our structure of our defense will stay the same. The obvious stuff I'll tell you is out of the four two five is you 
know, if they're running the ball inside, getting ones, fives, and nines, spill with the nine techniques. And you can either uh, uh, cut with the inside two or, or take all four guys. You can root out the offensive line. Um, we like to play what they call blue pitch, which is just quarters and spilling on the edge. Uh, if they're in double tights, we have a guy each side in the corner on the on, on the receiver. Uh, if they're in uh, you know tight end wing, we'll have somebody play outside the wing and somebody you know shaded over to the tight end side uh, or to the side of the wing guard the tight end. And if it's three backs, we'll 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 line up in the same structure, spill to both sides, and we'll just tell that free safety line up over the back. If it's power eye, line up over the offset back. If it's T, if it's dead T or Maryland I, line up over the middle and just go play football because we only have two vertical threats. Uh, if it's more of a spread deal, um, we like to bring a guy off each edge and pinch the line or bring a guy off each edge. And if we don't want to pinch because they run power, we'll kind of fire the end inside to the side of the blitz and kind of stay thicker, like not pinch our three technique inside to get a little thicker that side. If you're spread out, um, you know, we really like some of the red seven switched up from Bama. Uh, but we don't have a lot of, I've never run a goal line package per se with a special goal line. Like, like uh, some guys have a goal line defense where they call goal line. We've never done that before. So uh, we just modify our base. So if you know where they're going to run the ball and you're a four, two, five, and you're playing a G and a three with anything, you're trying to get your three technique to where they run the ball. Uh, if you can't decide where they don't really have a tendency uh, where they run the ball, we like two ones, two G's, and then, you know, just spill with the backers and have the safety inserted in the box. I would not box out of that because you're trying to get a 30 backer to box over all the way over the top. Some people do. And I just It scares me a little bit. That's getting cut off. So that's what I would do. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Make Defense Great Again. We've had a blast doing this. I'm excited for the end of the season and the playoff time. I'm excited for those of you who've got knocked out of the playoffs to come back on the Twitter because I missed y'all. For those of you still playing, good luck. I hope you win them all, except if you're playing me. Um, and uh, I just, I, I, I'm looking forward to the off season. I'm looking forward to connecting with all of you again on a deeper level. Last off season was a blast, and I'm just looking forward to learning and, and keeping that conversation up as we go through the 2020 season. However, for those of you who are still in 2019, stay focused. Don't 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 play too much on Twitter, and I'll catch y'all when your playoffs are done. And, um, have a great weekend, and if you have Monday off, enjoy yourself. Uh, and for those of you who are still playing, make sure uh, you don't have too much fun. You got a game, and as always, remember quarterback can't see with tears in his eyes.